Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. My name is Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. About six years ago, I left a career on Capitol Hill to open Glens Garden Market, a locally sourced grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar in DuPont Circle. I started the business because I'd come to realize that Congress was in no hurry to address climate change in a meaningful way. I decided I could have a much more tangible impact if I could activate my community to make a little progress every day. At Glens, we call it making progress one bite at a time. Throughout my six years running a climate change motivated business and the decade before that working on environmental policy in the House and Senate, I've met some truly extraordinary people who have made careers out of approaching the climate challenge from all manner of perspectives. On Everyday Enviro, we'll come together to share the tips we've learned along the way and empower you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but we'll show you just how easy it can be when you know exactly which small things really do matter. Today, we'll dive into the nuances of sustainable wine. We'll discuss what you need to know when you're making your selections, and we'll explore the ways in which you can make a little progress every time you fill your glass. I'm joined by the inimitable Andrew Stover, sommelier and wine distributor slash tastemaker extraordinaire. He founded Vino 50, which we'll learn about in a bit, and he also works with Siema Wines here in D.C. Andrew's a GW grad who's traveled the world to learn about wine, but his true passion is in exploring the budding wine regions, like our very own right next door in Virginia and Maryland. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you. Woo! I'm excited to talk with you about what's going on in the local sustainable winemaking movement and to learn some tricks for choosing wine wisely from an environmental perspective. So let's start with the basics. Mm. We're all familiar with the term sustainable as it applies to produce, produce. But Andrew, what is sustainable wine? Sustainable? Or do you, I mean, do we want to talk about Because, you know, if you want to break it down, there's like a couple different terms. Okay. Um, you know, obviously you hear the term organic Mm -hmm. thrown around a lot. Uh, Biodynamic is another uh, term thrown around a lot. Sustainable and natural. I mean, these are four terms that just get tossed around all the time. And probably misunderstood. Well, and misunderstood and misconstrued. And, you know, I think that like most people, like they can gravitate toward like the term organic. Sure. Um, And... You know, it's it's a matter of like getting the definitions down. Okay, so let's do that. Let's okay. get our terminology down. So, the, we have uh, we have so let's, three yeah. main words that we want to sort of unpack: organic, biodynamic, and natural. And are, and, are there and any then other? sustainable and then sustainable. All right. Yeah. So w- walk us through. All right. Soup so notes. let's start with organic. I mean, um, organic is like the true 
one thing that has like a legal definition, right? That is regulated by different governments. So like, for example, let's just keep it in the U S because every country has its own like standards. So like organic means that you're growing your grapes. And when we're talking about wine grapes, uh, without the use of any synthetic or man-made chemicals, fertilized pesticides, herbicides, anything that's man-made. Okay. That is banned. So, yeah, and that's how, you know, organic foods are grown, right? Sure. Same thing. I mean, so USDA has this set of standards that's out there, right? Sure. Got it. So then, one little caveat, there's actually an additional term that you can look at and have it say organic wine. Because once the grapes are grown and they go into the wine make, the winery, like, it may not be organic wine. So or an inga- Because or, it could be contaminated well, after. Well, harvest. there's things that we can do, you know, in the, in the winery that may not uh, be considered organic. Um, a wine that's truly organic, um, not just the grapes, but also the wine has to be produced without any additional added sulfites. So that's mm-hmm. a legal term. Sure. Um, so generally speaking, like you see most like wines that are labeled organic, they're made with organic grapes. They're not necessarily organic wines because there's things that have been done in the winery. Okay, okay. so I know that when you're at the grocery store, yeah. if you take that gorgeous organic right. bunch of kale yeah. and then you put it on the conveyor belt right. at the checkout, you have ruined the organic nature of the kale. Well, so, yeah. I mean, there's an analogy here. Yeah, that's the analogy. Absolutely. All right, so they need they need to follow through on organic practices right. all the way. And, you know, home. not, not I mean, you go and look at next time you're, you know, over at the store. Like, look, you know, they say made with organic grapes. Mm-hmm. The very rarely do you see organic wine. Um, so now let's go to the next the next term. Biodynamic. Biodynamic. So All the rage. Biodynamic. The rage. No, it's a really interesting um, means of growing. And it's organic, but it goes further. It's this. It's almost like witchcraft. <laughs> I mean, I like to use that term because people are like, they look at you and they're like, what? Witchcraft? <laughs> yes, because this is um, a... F- means of farming that looks at the entire farm as its own ecosystem. So to be biodynamic, you're not just growing grapes. You're also growing other crops because you can't just be monoculture uh, because you wouldn't have an ecosystem. Right. And you also have to have animals. So you probably have pigs. You might have horses. You might have cows. Cows are actually very important in biodynamics because you need the horns of the cows for some of the preparations that take place what sort of preparation well there's this one preparation where they take the horns off certain breeds of cattle and they stuff the manure in the horns and then they bury it and then they dig it up at a certain it's all based on lunar cycles and and um astrological cycles and then what do they do with they take the manure they dump it out they put it in water and then it's a treatment that's sprayed on the soil okay and there's other so this treatments. this is a natural there's, pesticide? Uh, yeah, to invigorate the soil. And I'm telling you, it's witchcraft. <laughs> it's witchcraft. And it was created by an, a, an Austrian guy named Rudolf Steiner in the na- late 20s. Okay, um, so this sounds like sort of the polyface farm yeah, model yeah. where it's a true symbiosis yeah, yeah, between it's a symbiosis. what you're growing and yeah, how exactly. you're replenishing the soil. Exactly. And there is a body that, um, that certifies. certifies. It's called Demeter. It was also, it's a nonprofit that was founded uh, around the same time, the late 20s. Um, although you might hear from some wineries that are practicing biodynamics, but they're not certified. So, I mean, again, to put it on the label, to put Demeter on the label, they have to be, you know. All the way. All the way. But, you know, you might see on somebody's website, hey, we're doing some biodynamic things. Okay, so if 
if organic gra- grown with organic grapes is like a B plus. Yeah. And then organic certified is like an A minus. Yeah. But then biodynamic is an A plus. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, okay. uh, because they're doing everything organically because you're not supposed to use any, you know, again, biodynamics builds on organics and goes a step further and then does all these like, you know, different treatments and um, other parts. And, you know, again, it would be like looking at it's to look at your farm as its own ecosystem. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then what does this well, then amorphous we have, word sustainable mean? Well, so sustainable is, I mean, I think sustainable is the A plus because sustainable is it's a huge like kind of open ended term um but it's like you know what not only are we looking at farming our farming practices that are environmentally sound but sustainable looks at is the business economically viable hmm. is the business socially viable uh community viable um and so looking at other things that are not necessarily related to the farming aspect, but the business practices. A more holistic. It's a more holistic approach. Approach. Um, so, you know, when you talk about like sustainable, um, you know, a lot of a lot of these wineries are going to be using practices that might fall into organic or biodynamic, but then they're also looking at how do I conserve energy? How do I, you know, conserve um other aspects of the business, um, you know, like how do I treat my employees? How do I treat my suppliers? Um, That's kind of where sustainable falls in. So the word sustainable reaches far beyond environmental practices. Yeah, exactly. Is this a wholesome operator from every angle? Exactly. Awesome. And then there's natural. So, But is sustainable a word that we would see on a wine label? And Um, is that what we should understand it to mean? Yes and no. Um, There are a couple different uh, bodies out there. I mean, so for example, like here on the East Coast, Long Island has a Long Island sustainable wine growing program that is certified by the state. Um, it has like 200 different things that you have to do. And it again, it looks just, it looks beyond the actual farming practices, sure. you know, because at the end of the day too, you have to be economically viable. Mm-hmm. You know, can we sustain this business, you know, economically uh, for the long term, for the next generation? If that makes any sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. All right. Natural. Let's do it. All right. Well, so natural is like the hot new buzzword. Uh-huh. All right. So we, like pet nat. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Petulant natural, orange wine, unfiltered. Like there's all the these funky stuff. And it's the funky stuff. And so here's what's interesting. Five years ago, if you would have told me, hey, these natural wines are going to be like the hottest thing. I would have been like, please. <laughs> because the thing about natural, it's like it's going back to ancient times before technology. You're making wine. Again, you're probably organic. You're probably doing biodynamics. But then it's all about minimal intervention. You pick the grapes, crush the grapes. You got the juice. You let it happen. Cool. What happens, what can happen is bad things. What? What sort of bad things? Well, bad things. Um, So one of the things about natural is that you know, I have an interesting little little tidbit here. It's it's as unmanipulated as possible, and often this means it comes with the flaws. Okay. Good and bad. What sort of bad flaws? Well, you know, you can have like bacterial infections that can happen, and the wines taste often funky. Some people love it, some people don't. Okay. I mean, so basically, like, you know, a natural wine is just going to happen, and sometimes off things happen, which in 
most wineries, you would be trying to correct that off mm-hmm. thing. For consistency uh, purposes. Brettanomyces. Mm-hmm. Everybody's all about Brett sour beer. Yes. Brett in wine can be a bad thing if you have too much of it. It can make the wine taste like b- a barnyard, which some people like, some people don't. Mm-hmm. It could even go on. It can even be more like a vinegar flavor. And so that's the thing with these natural unfiltered wines is that you just have to be ready for what might have happened to it. That sounds it, a, like a fun adventure. Well, it's no? a fun adventure. Um, it's interesting because, you know, there's like two camps on this. There's the people that love it. And then there's, you know, some of the wine professionals that are not into the natural wine because when they're clean and dirty, if you will, they're not pleasant hmm. for some people. I, I personally don't care for orange wine. I don't like the oxidation factors. It's not yeah, the profile I, mean, I prefer. You know, and sometimes with these unfiltered wines, um, you, you get these off bitter astringent flavors mm. um you know the yeast can well for for pet nat the yeast is still alive when it's put in the bottle so it's sort of the kombucha of wine yeah yeah and it can be really acidic and really funky and some people don't like that hmm. you know yeah and sometimes you know you have to be careful too because you open i don't know about kombucha because uh i don't generally drink it so i'm not a big huge fan but sometimes when you open pet nats they go all over the place you know because sure. it's alive you know so anyways um, I just feel like you have to like throw natural into that because while, you know, a natural wine might be organic and sometimes biodynamic, just because you're labeled organic and bio doesn't mean you're natural. Heard. Yeah. Okay. So we have explored yeah. natural, sustainable, biodynamic, and organic. Andrew, can you give us some pro tips for choosing wine wisely if we're looking to support sustainable winemaking? Right. So, you know, when you're in the store, I think it's really important to, you know, talk to somebody if there's somebody there. So that means like shop at places that have someone who knows what they're talking about. Uh, Smaller, independent wine related stores. So they can help match your interest with what you're going to find in the bottle. Right. But then they also probably, because they're hopefully involved in sourcing of the wines, like at Glenn's, like Kyle can tell us, Mm -hmm. you know. This is what they do. This is what these guys do. Go Kyle. Yeah, go Kyle. Um, And also, too, I think it's important, while it may not say on the label, organic or biodynamic, you can learn a lot by looking at a producer's website. Uh, Because sometimes, again, the U.S. government, like, you could be growing organic, but if you're not certified... You generally can't put that on the label. Definitely. Right. Very so, misleading. and again, like if you're not Demeter certified, you can't put biodynamic on the label because they won't let you. Okay. Oh. So now we have a better idea following this discussion of what yeah. those words mean. Mm-hmm. But the advice is go find somebody that knows what the heck they're talking yeah. about and ask some questions. Ask questions. Okay, cool. And if you have you if, if you have a doubt, look on the winery's website. You know, most wineries that are practicing these programs, they're very excited to put them out there for you no to doubt. read about. Absolutely. All right. Pro tip, do your research. Yeah. So we are talking with Andrew Stover of Vino 50 about choosing your wine wisely from an environmental perspective. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we'll explore the specifics of what our local winemakers are doing when it comes to producing their wines sustainably. Back in a sec.
welcome back. This is Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio, a show about the small things you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. I'm Danielle Vogel, owner of Glens Garden Market, and I'm joined today by Andrew Stover, founder of Vino 50. We're talking about sustainable winemaking, and man, we are having some fun. So You know, it, I should have brought some wine, because <laughs> I was going to say, like, this is the first radio show I've done where I didn't bring wine. All right. Well, I, I always it, bring it, wine. This is a, uh, episode one in a two-part series. With yeah, I know, like, the, the, the audience can't see the wine, but we can have some, like, really funky, unfiltered wine, and then you could, like, see what I'm talking about. All right. All right. Uh, well, next, next time. Next time. To be continued. So, Andrew, tell us about Vino 50. Oh, so, yeah, like, 10 years ago, so, you, you know, you failed to mention that I came out of the restaurant business, which is I, fine. I certainly did fail to mention that. Uh, that's okay. I mean, so, I I came out of the restaurant business. I worked as a SOM for a number of years. And one of the things I was really into was the, not just the local wine movement, but like the whole, we call it the other 46 movement. Mm-hmm. So not California? Not the West Coast, you know, and New York, we kind of throw into that a little bit too. Sure. So you say the other 47, but like New York is certainly up there in like, you know, wine production. Sure. Um, so I'm really interested in that. And there's a lot of really interesting, um, really cool things happening in other parts of the U.S. So not just in our own backyard, but like Texas, Arizona, places that you don't think of as being fine wine places. So, there's drinkable wine coming out of Arizona. Yeah, there's very drinkable wines coming Challenge. out. Challenge. Yes. To give us a name. Uh, Caduceus Cellars, right. Dusca Basis, Arizona Stronghold. I mean, a list goes on. I could probably... You know, Tumbleweed that, Cellars. Perhaps that's what we'll drink the next time yeah. we see each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great... You know what? Just as a caveat, Arizona, what what do you think of when I say Arizona? Uh, dry, arid climates and desert right. blooms. Right. So that's a great place to grow grapes. Hmm. Now, you're not going to grow grapes in Phoenix. Because grapes it's, are not terribly water consumptive. Right. Grapes are not terribly water consumptive. So, you know, that's why California has so many grapes. Of course, you know, they have a huge problem because they have, you know, a water shortage. Sure. And, you know, um, and groundwater shortage. So Arizona, you know, like grapes find water. Arizona is no different hmm. in, in the context like Argentina. Argentina is a high desert in Mendoza. It's 5,000 feet above sea level. It is pretty much a desert. The only water that it has comes off the Andes Mountains. Interesting. So, so Arizona. Are, are the vines very deep rooted? How do they go? They can go the down places? like 30, 40, 50 feet. They'll find oh, wow. the water. Um, you know, often you have to do a little drip irrigation. I mean, we even do drip irrigation here on the East Coast and really drought years. Hmm. Um, but Arizona is just. In my opinion, I compare it to Spain and Argentina. They're arid, high elevation climates that make great wine. Because also there's less disease pressure in those arid places. There's not as much rot, mildew, and bugs. Exactly. So you can grow very organically in those places. Without the need for pesticides. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. So So anyways, yeah, yeah, got off on a tangent there. Sorry. Um, So I was really interested in all these up-and-coming wine regions, so... Um, I had them on my restaurant list, and then I decided that we would start a project where we could offer them um, to the general public, you know, in a, other restaurants and, and uh, wine shops. And, and so really we started that 10 off. years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really taken off. I That's mean, awesome. like wines from 12 different unusual states now. I know you're a Michigan fan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> not the, not the, the university, but the, uh, the wines. <laughs> um, okay, so you are seeking out well-made yes. wines from all over America. Yes. Um, so given the fact that you are, I think, reasonably known as the expert on this matter, mm. uh, here at least, um, in your opinion, what states are the best domestic sustainable wines coming from? Um... The best domestic 
sustainable wines? Oh, man. I mean, you know, it really depends on um, the climate. I mean, so I had mentioned Arizona. I think that, you know, just because of climate, Arizona can grow very sustainably and organically uh, very easily. Mm -hmm. You know, we know about Oregon. Oregon has a lot of environmental programs that are, uh, you know, working toward um, that goal. And also Washington State. I mean, those aren't unusual places per se, but Washington State is a high desert where they grow the grapes. Mm, it's eastern mm-hmm. Washington on the other side of the mountains. It's a desert. It's dry. You know, thank God the Columbia River's there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any water. <laughs> you know, that's where they irrigate from. There's a lot of water in that river sometimes. Okay, so um, the answer is many, many. Well, and reason. then also, you know, here on the East Coast, like we have to work a little bit harder to be uh, sustainable in the vineyard. Um, and one of the things that, you know, wineries that grow more native grapes, so Norton comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Norton, as a grape, is one of the most sustainable to grow on the East Coast. Because it is it's indigenous disease, to our ecosystem. Exactly. And it, and it is disease resistant. It requires less spraying. And it just kind of goes. So you'd see that here in Virginia. Uh, also in Missouri. Missouri is a big Norton grower. Um, so basically, uh, a grape that is indigenous to a region will thrive in that region. Seems simple enough. Yeah, yeah. Seems simple enough. I mean, but keep in mind, most grapes that we enjoy for wine are all from Europe, mm-hmm. different parts of Europe. Sure. So they're not indigenous to this country. We have our own set of indigenous grapes. You probably see them growing like on the side of the road, mm-hmm. like going up a tree. Sometimes they don't bear fruit. But like Norton is one of those species that is native to North America and therefore seems to be the least disease resistant and therefore the most sustainable for a winery to grow. Yet not a lot of wineries grow it. It's difficult to grow uh, in, an, in an extent because it uh, once you get it going, it grows, but it's hard to get going. To get started. Yeah, it, that's just a little minor thing when they're like little tiny plantlets you know and is that more because it's a semi-brutal climate here as opposed to something about the hardiness of the grape itself i think it's just slow to root okay you know gotcha that makes sense yeah okay so we are looking for pro tips so can you tell us which particular vineyards are doing the best job some really cool things around here so like we talked about norton um so around here chrysalis vineyards uh, in fact, in the world, has the largest planting of the Grape Norton. It's her thing. Yes. She's obsessed. It's one of my favorite vineyards. Um, and, you know, again, she says, look, if you're not growing Norton, you're wasting a lot of money on sprays and such on the other grapes. Mm. I mean, uh, because it's just so sustainable. So that's one thing. Chrysalis. Um, Check it Also, out. you know what? They, um, I didn't know this because I don't know a lot of wineries do this. They use all of their pressed skins and seeds, and they send the seeds off to make grapeseed oil. Oh, how cool! Is That's that? a so cool they're upcycling, upcycling the waste. concept. Fantastic. So, um, another another thing, uh, another winery that's local that's doing some really cool things is Old Westminster Winery in sure. Maryland, which you know they're doing all of the cool hipster natural stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're using indigenous yeast. They're very low on sulfur and 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 fining and filtering, and they have a lot of really cool natural wines. And, and so, as you're using a non-gender descriptive pronoun, but it's a woman-owned winery, right? Uh, or a winemaker, maybe. Yeah, a female winemaker. It's a, it's brothers and one brother and two sisters. Awesome. Uh so yeah, Lisa. Lisa makes the wine. Very good. Um, and makes good choices. It sounds. Yes. Yes. Well, and by the way, so what they're working on uh, it's something new. They have a new site. 
Um, I think it's in Montgomery County. If not, it's like right on the border of like Montgomery and maybe Howard. But they've got a new site called Burnt Hill, which will be the first, at least what they think, mm-hmm. first USDA certified organic site on the in at least the Mid Atlantic. I don't personally know of anybody else in on the East Coast who's actually certified USDA certified organic. I can't think of anybody. Amazing. I mean, you know, even just going through the the, the shelves of wine, like. I don't know of anybody who's so this doing is, that. This is know, a new it's, site. It's organic grapes, and it's grown organic all the way through right. the Right, and they're going to use some biodynamic things. I mean, it's harder to be biodynamic in our climate, um, but they're going to do some of those programs. Very cool. All right, so um, now we've heard Chrysalis, and we've heard Old, old Westminster. Westminster. Oh, by the way, they're doing a lot of upcycling. Like, we talked about the sea, the grapeseed oil at Chrysalis. Mm-hmm. So Old Westminster just released this wine that I don't know if you've tried it, but we have it in your shop in Glens. It's a style of wine called Piquette. I okay. did. I tasted so piquette yeah, is when you take your pressed skins and seeds and you've already made your wine. You've pressed the juice out. You take the seeds and skins. You p- put them back in a re-fermenting bin, a mm-hmm. fermenting bin, and you add water, purified water, and you start another fermentation to create a second wine. Amazing. It's like a session wine. It's so, low yeah, alcohol. It, that, it tasted very low alcohol. Right. I mean, it's are 7%, we talking? Okay. Uh, unfiltered. It's funky. It's acidic. It's definitely one of those weird natural style wines that appeals to a very specific, uh, you know, drinker. Um, but it's cool. But this is a no food waste concept. Right. So we've created a second product. So very economically sustainable. Sure. To, you know, especially in 2018. It was a very bad year here. Remember, it rained all the time. So that's hard on vineyards. So um, they came up with, uh, you know, making lemon lemonade out of lemons, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. That's so um, cool. So and you know they have the cans too now. That's another thing. Um, we'll get into that okay, in a second, right, actually. So um, hold that thought. Old Westminster has cans. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, who else can we talk about? Oh, we have to talk about Bedell. I mean, Bedell and Lion, which, you know, you love Bedell. Bedell is mm-hmm. definitely one of the, the leaders on the East Coast in sustainable farming. So, again, they're using, you know, organic programs, but they're also looking at everything else. Their social responsibility, their energy consumption, um, the way that they treat their employees and, and their suppliers. Um, and they're one of the, the, the wineries that kind of wrote the book on the certification that what sustainability means right, of sustainability in new york for wine growing awesome big fan of the taste yeah and, and they actually say that in the label cool because anybody who goes through and gets the certification from the long island wine growers association there's a little symbol and it says certified long island sustainable good tip we'll look so, out for that yeah thank you all right so switching gears for a yep. second okay um shameful moment when i was in college boxed wines all the rage mm-hmm. for all the wrong reasons uh, but now they're making a comeback for, yeah. for some pretty good reasons. Um, they cut down on transportation emissions because they're lighter to transport than glass. Mm-hmm. And they reduce wine waste because they're preventing oxygen exposure. Exactly. So as a sommelier and a wine distributor, what are your feelings on the new generation of boxed wine? So uh, along with the boxed wine, I want to put kegs in that same discussion because it's kind of the same concept. It's a larger volume of wine with less packaging. Mm-hmm. So it weighs less. Because glass is heavy Mm -hmm. and it's easier to move it. So, yes, less emissions. Um, You know, I think there are some really great uh, boxed wines out there. I mean, give us some names. What what should not be embarrassing to drink from? Well, you know, Michael Shapps uh, from Virginia locally, he has started this little. I don't know if you guys still have them over there. Maybe he, maybe you, you did for a while. We had them last year. But they're like the little, uh, they're four bottles in a box. It's like a three liter and has a little spigot on it. So, yeah, you can, it's great for, a party. A party. 
Um, and you can also be excited that you're supporting something local. Sure. You know, something that's locally produced, locally owned, and so on. So local, drinkable, and environmentally sustainable? Yeah. All right. I shall feel shamed. Well, no and more. kegs too. I mean, again, you're not going to get a keg for your house, but for <laughs> anybody who owns a restaurant, well, I mean, anybody who owns a restaurant, like the kegs are great uh, because it cuts down on waste. The wine is fresher to the, the to the guest, um, and again, you have an opportunity to use local wines in a restaurant and have it on draft and and not take any waste and not have any waste. Exactly. All right, so we're also seeing some vineyards start to can their yes, wines. The can, can you make a case for canned wine, Andrew? So I feel like the canned wine is just an extension of what we've seen in the craft beer movement, and it was just a matter of time. It's just people have to get comfortable with the idea of it. Um, again, less waste, completely recyclable. In fact, you know, not a lot of glass is not recycled. I mean, it's so easy to make, right? It's just sand blown, right? But aluminum is expensive. Sure. And it's a resource that we don't have in, like a lot of, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to eventually run out. Like, I'm sure sand will run out, too. But, like, right now, I got a lot of sand. Um, (laughs) But, so, cans weigh less. Uh, They're also, by the way, uh, most wineries, hopefully, are using BPA-free cans Mm because they now have those out there. Um, And they're usually made in America, which is great. Because a lot of glass is not. It's usually from, God forbid, China. Oh, that's interesting. I know. Yeah. A lot of, like, wineries use glass from China and glass from Mexico. Mexico is usually the preferred. Uh, It's just the cost of doing business, you know. Like, we understand that. Um, okay, so it's a little ironic to see, seek out a local vineyard um, who's, using doing, glass. who's doing right by their land and their environment and their workers and then, yeah, contain it in imported glass. Uh, again, I'm not on the supply side like that. I don't know how many glass manufacturing companies are still in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be part of the issue. We'll actually be exploring that next week yeah, we should. on Enviro, we should. Everyday Enviro. We should. Um, okay, so in the hierarchy of environmental sustainability, when it comes to wine containment, mm-hmm. with all the other things being equal, mm-hmm. it goes... Boxed, then canned, then bottled. As far as like what's sustainable, yeah. or what do you mean, like packaging wise? Yeah, packaging wise. Uh, I mean, I feel like boxes and cans are on the same wavelength Got because it. you know, again, cans are smaller, so like smaller quantities. Whereas the boxes, it's all about you know. But by the way, I got to tell you something. Um, a lot of those little box wines that are out there, they may not be falling into those like buzzwords that we unpacked earlier. Mm-hmm. They may not be organic. They may not be sustainable. Mm-hmm. They may not be natural. Sure. Because a lot of boxed wine sometimes is bulk. Not locally per se, sure. but the stuff that comes in from like, say, I mean, come on, Franzia. There's nothing about... <laughs> That's the boxed wine of my childhood. Well, you know, people still <laughs> drink it. I still see it out there. There's nothing about Franzia that would fall into those words we unpacked Certainly earlier. Certainly okay? not. Um, okay. It would be all of, all of the bad things that we could think about wine. Uh, noted, and thank you for yeah. the tip. Um, so is there anything else we should know so we can really feel prepared to succeed as we choose wines that are delicious but also sustainable? I think it's important, again, to know who you're... It's just like what you definitely talk about when it's like what when you're buying your food it's like you got to know what you're buying and where you're buying so i think it's really important to buy wine in places that you can feel like they care about sourcing the sourcing Mm -hmm. you know um and so that's what it's independence heard it's independence like glenn's garden market absolutely thank you for that well Uh, i mean it's true (laughs) so the bottom line is give local wines a shot And if you prefer varietals that don't thrive in our climate, seek out producers who are doing right by their land and their workforce. And don't judge me for drinking canned wine. You know, it's all about the environment. (laughs) I got to tell you something about the canned wines. Um, People, it's it's portable too. Oh, 
Movie theater magic is I mean, what that is. I mean, movie theater magic. I have lots of great stories. Mommy's little release, you know, I'm walking down the street, pushing the, the baby stroller, drinking a can of wine, and nobody knows I'm drinking a can of wine. <laughs> okay. you, know? you heard it here first. Not <laughs> to mention, usually if you have a pool and you're in an apartment building with a pool, there's no glass allowed. So the cans are like... Poolside perfection, perfection. movie theater magic, everything we love about wine. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. You are a true and utter delight. Okay, so before we end our time together, let's take a moment to reflect on why climate change is a problem even worth attempting to address at the personal level. It's it's huge and complex, uh, and at times it seems well beyond our control. But it's not... This is your moment of motivation, brought to you today by our brilliant Everyday Enviro intern, Juliana Bradley. Take it away, Juliana. Awesome. Thanks so much, Danielle. So I'm going to leave you guys with a few tips and tricks about knowing about the wine industry and the carbon intensity of producing that bottle of wine. So grapes are a relatively low carbon intensity crop. So almost all of the carbon dioxide from the wine industry comes from transport. Just another argument for drinking locally made wine. Getting your bottle of bubbly from Napa Valley to D.C. produced about five pounds of pollution if it traveled by truck and triple that if it came by plane. That's like driving 20 miles in a gas-guzzling car every time you open a bottle of wine. So what should we do? The best way to reduce the impact of a post-work glass of goodness is to buy some of our region's incredible, sustainable wineries. And if you must have your Napa Valley Rosé, Consider a lighter, less carbon-intensive package like box wine or canned wine. Don't worry. Mother Nature doesn't care if you're classy. Pass it off to Danielle. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, Juliana. Uh, never one to resist the pun. Some nope. sobering <laughs> facts about the wine industry. Um, okay, so please join us next week on Everyday Enviro for a conversation with Bill Butcher, the owner of Port City Brewery in Alexandria, Virginia, about how you can make environmental progress just by drinking local craft beer. Talk with you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.